Hey, this is Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church, and I'm going to thank you for listening to the message today. As we open up the scriptures together, I pray that this message inspires you, challenges you, and is the right word at just the right time in your life. Enjoy the message. It is good to gather together and sing the gospel. Like that's what we're doing. We're declaring that Jesus is our redeemer, that he can take things that are broken, make them beautiful again. Our lives are declaring that message. We are not a group of people who gather together to sing about how we figured it out. We are not singing songs about uh, how we've earned God's love and how we are in a moral position of superiority. Like we, none of that. Like our songs and our worship declare God's grace to us, his redeeming work in our lives. Our lives should be testimony to the, the gospel. Look, look what Jesus can do, even for someone like me. And, and if that's true in the songs we sing, the lives we live, then our marriages should especially reflect the redemptive power of the gospel. Like, look what God can do. If he did this for our marriage, then he can do anything. And so we want our church to be a place where people can come who are hurting and experience that redeeming work in their lives. We, we want so much for our marriages to be a reflection of God's love for us. Jesus said in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we're his followers by the way that we love each other. He, he said in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And what made that command new wasn't that it was brand new as in they hadn't heard it before. It's that Jesus had a new way of loving, a, a way that was full of grace and truth, a way that was full of compassion and kindness, a, a way that was committed and unconditional. And so when we love each other that way, we're showing the world what the love of God looks like, and that's especially true in our marriages. Now look, doing a marriage series in a church like ours is a little bit challenging because there are a lot of different kinds of people in, in the service today at our different campuses. I get it. Like a lot of you are married, but a lot of you aren't. Some of you are divorced, some of you are single, widows, widowers, some of you are, are, are single and wish you were married, some of you are married and wish you were single. Like it just runs the spectrum, I, I understand that. And so we, as we talk about marriage, understand that we're not just talking about marriage, we're talking about God's love. We're talking about Christ and the church. That's what Paul says in Ephesians, in the middle of his talk on union in marriage, he stops and he says, hey, look, there's a supernatural mystery here. I'm not just talking about marriage. I'm talking about Jesus and the church. And so we're not just talking about marriage because we want couples to be happy and we're aware that many people are struggling. I mean, that's true, but it's not just that. We are talking about marriage because we care about the glory of God and marriage is meant to reflect God's love for us. The Bible uses it as an illustration and as a picture of the kind of love that God has for his people. And so we want our marriages to, to reflect that. And yet it's difficult. Marriage is hard if you didn't know that. 99% of marriages go through a serious season of struggle. Like that's not just a random number that's statistically shown, 99% of marriages. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, that's not us. Well, give yourself some time. Maybe you just haven't been married long enough. Like, it's just normal to have these seasons of struggle in marriage, and there's no shame in the struggle. I think sometimes those of us who grew up in church or in religious circles feel like there's something wrong with struggling. And there's, there's no shame in the struggle, whether that's marriage or some other area of your life. 
If you ask me what I'm most embarrassed about as a husband, it's not the seasons of struggle we've had in our marriage, it's the fact that I, as the husband, didn't do a better job of asking for help early and often. I wish I would have, I wish I would have more often and early reached out and said, hey, you know what, let's get some help. We're surrounded by couples whose marriages we admire. Let's just tell them about some of the challenges we're having and, and see what they say about this. Let's just ask for some prayer. Some of our friends, let's trust them to enter into this conversation with us. Like, I wish I would have done that earlier because once I started doing that, I discovered that's how God designed it to be, that we help each other. So there's no shame in the struggle. I, one of the things I'm excited about in this series, I touched on it last week, is that we're not just doing a marriage series here, but there are a lot of resources to help you in your marriage. If you're struggling or there's just room for growth, last week I mentioned this, but our care ministry team has worked really hard to put together an opportunity for any couple that needs help to receive marriage counseling, and the church will pay 80% of that marriage counseling for up to, to six months. And so they have um, worked really hard at identifying these Christian marriage counselors that we wanna connect you to. And if you'll text the word marriage to 733-733, we'll get you connected to one of these marriage counselors. And we'll, as a church, we'll pay 80% of the cost for that. Um, also, if you wanna help with that initiative, if you text the word marriage to 733-733, you can make a donation to help with that initiative. But last week, we had over 300 couples humble themselves and say, you know what? We could use some help. We could use some help. And I, I am so proud. I am so proud of the couples who were willing to do that. I think, I, I, I think that sets a great example and I want some of you who didn't do it but know that you need to, to know that that offer is still open, it's still available. Maybe you're watching this online, you're like, well maybe that's true for the people in the room but that doesn't include us. Yeah, it includes you too. Like we, we as a church care very much about your marriage and about your family. We believe that this decision that 300 plus couples have already made has the potential to affect generations. Generations that we, we believe that there'll be grandchildren down the road that will be able to point back to this time within our church and say, my, my grandparents stayed together because of, because of this. And, and so we're, praying that God uses this in, in really significant ways. Um, we're praying for those 300 plus couples, asking God every day to bless you, to give you the grace that you need, the strength that you need as you take these steps. Um, there's a lot of reasons to not give up if you're struggling, because I know that's where some of you are. Like this is your last ditch effort. I was reading a study done by the University of Chicago. Sociologist Linda Waite found that eight out of 10 couples who were categorized as very unhappy in their marriages, five years later, if they were still together, described themselves as happily married, which led to this interesting discovery that there's an 80% chance that if you persevere and you stick it out during a difficult time, there's an 80% chance that Five years later, you will go from being very unhappy to being happily married. Like sometimes it's just about persevering. It's about not giving up in the moment when things are really difficult. And, and so there's hope, there's help, there's healing if you're finding yourself in this season where you're just ready to quit. 
If our marriages are meant to be a reflection of God's love for us, then our marriages, and this is true with any relationship for us as followers of Jesus, but especially our marriages should be marked by generosity because this was and is the character that God demonstrates in his love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave. And and the University of Virginia did the study where they just found that couples who were very happy in their marriage also had ranked the highest on their generosity scale, that there's something significant that happens when a husband and wife look at each other and they decide they're gonna love generously, not transactionally, where they say, well, you do this for me and I'll do this for you, not with this scarcity mindset with, I don't wanna be taken advantage of and I've already done enough, and, but when they love with this generosity, they are very happy in their marriage and God loves us this way. He shows us how to do it. And so we're talking about how, how we can model the generous love of God in our marriages. This week we're especially focusing on emotional generosity or being emotionally generous. And once again, what I wanna do is I wanna go back to the very beginning when God talks to us about the purpose of marriage. This is what Jesus did when he was asked about marriage and divorce. He largely stayed out of the cultural nuances of that conversation. And instead he would point people to to the very beginning and say, well, look, this is what God intended. This is what God wants. He would help people focus on, on what God originally designed marriage to be. And so that's what we wanna do as well. Jesus did that in Matthew 19 and Mark chapter 10. And, and in the very beginning in Genesis, God creates Adam, gives him, if you remember, the assignment of keeper of the garden. And then he looks at Adam. In verse 18, he says, this isn't good. It isn't good for man to be alone. And then in verse 22, God introduces Adam to Eve and, and Adam ex- exclaims in verse 23, at last, at last, because here's this guy who's been sitting in the garden, counting the animals, naming the animals, and Eve comes on the scene and he's like, okay, this is, this is different, at last. And he breaks out into poetry. This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She's made for me, I'm made for her. And then the Bible gives us this statement of purpose for marriage, verse 24, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. And then it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This is God's design and intent for marriage. Now this phrase, one flesh, has a physical um, connotation to it. When you hear one flesh, it feels like a physical explanation, physical description. And that's true, but that's not all it is. This one flesh union that God designed marriage to have. So next week we'll talk about being sexually generous, sexual generosity in marriage, and that's part of this one flesh conversation. But this week we're talking about emotional generosity, and I'm a little hesitant to separate these conversations into two weeks because they're not separate. These two things go together. And some of you know just how much damage has been done when you've tried to separate the sexual from the emotional. Like it has not, it has not worked. And so both of these things come together to help us understand the one flesh desire that God has for husbands and wives. So we'll talk about the sexual side next week. This week, we're talking about the emotional side, but understand that these two things go together. A Hebrew word um, for intimacy, this oneness, that is described in scripture, would literally be defined as a mingling of the souls, a fusing together, 
this oneness where you can't tell where one ends and another one begins. That's the kind of closeness God originally designed marriage to have. And so how do we experience that? How do we experience that? I think emotional generosity moves us closer to that kind of intimacy. A marriage researcher and relationship expert, Dr. John Gottman, separates couples into two groups. He calls them, he calls them the masters and the disasters. And, and he explains the difference between the master and the disaster. He observed all kinds of couples, and he noticed that throughout the day, married partners made requests for connection. He calls them bids, bids. So whether they knew it or not, they were making these constant requests for connection calls, called bids. For example, here's the example that is given. A husband who is a bird enthusiast, okay, notices a, uh, a goldfinch fly across the yard. He tells his wife, look at that beautiful goldfinch. But don't miss this, he's not just commenting on the bird, he's requesting a response from his wife, a sign of interest, a sign of support. It's a bid for an, oppor an opportunity for her to be emotionally generous. Now the wife has a choice. She can respond in one of two ways. Godman says she will either turn towards or turn away. Turn towards or turn away from her husband. And though the bird bid seems like something very minor, he says it actually reveals a lot about the health of a marriage. The bird was important enough for the husband to mention it to his wife, and the question is, will she be emotionally generous by turning toward him, or will she turn away? Remember what we talked about last week, that this generosity in marriage is marked by this statement of, if it's important to her, it's important to me. If it's important to him, it's important to me. Will she respond in a way that reflects that? Gottman says that people who turn toward their partner in the study did so by engaging the bid, by showing interest and support in the bid. Those who turned away responded minimally, oh, that's nice, or ignored the bid altogether. In marriages that were headed to divorce, they expressed contempt with the bed. With the bid, the husband says, Look at that beautiful goldfinch, and the wife says, I cannot believe I married a bird enthusiast. Like, it's that. It's, stop bothering me with the birds. I, I don't know the difference between a goldfinch and any other bird that I could even reference to finish the sentence. Like, there's this contempt. And these bidding interactions, he says, have a profound effect on the intimacy, the marital health in that relationship. He says, couples who had divorced six years after this Experiment had a turn towards bid at the time of 33%. They turned towards each other 33%. But he says six years later, the couples who were happily married during that time, and still married, had a turn towards bid of 87%. That nine out of 10 times, they were being emotionally generous with their spouse's bid. And so I just wanna talk practically using scripture to understand four ways that we can be emotionally generous with with our spouse, four areas where there are constantly these bids where we have opportunity to turn towards. Before I do, before I jump into this, can I just state for the record that I tried to get somebody else to preach this sermon. I, I didn't wanna do it, 
When I put this series together months ago, I thought, well, I'm not doing that one. I'll have somebody else, I'll have somebody else do it. It just, didn't, it, just, it just didn't work out. The reason why I didn't want to do this sermon isn't because I don't think it's important. I think it's really important, but it just seems to me that somebody who's really good at it should be up here talking through it. This sermon was easy to write. I had this thing done on Monday. I never have a sermon done on Monday. This thing was done on Monday, but it's not because I know what I'm doing. It's not because I figured it all out. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm an expert. It's because in 27 years of marriage, I have learned like these are the areas where I especially need to grow. Where left on my own, I'm not gonna do well with this. Like I've, I've had to grow. I had no idea when I got married how much I needed to grow when it came to emotional generosity. And I'm still a work in progress. So just so you know, okay, that's full disclosure. It's actually not full disclosure, it's, it's a fair amount of disclosure. I, I've, got, I've got some work to do, okay. First of all, we can be generous emotionally by being generous with attention. You remember in um, the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, where Jesus is at the home of Mary and Martha. Remember the story we looked at some months ago where Martha is busy, she is distracted with things that are important. Mary is at the feet of Jesus listening to Jesus, giving Jesus her full attention. And Jesus says of Mary, look, Mary has chosen what is better. She's chosen what is better. And, and I think when it comes to relationships, but especially within marriage, that we have this um, challenge where we have important things that need to be taken care of. And the easiest thing to neglect is time and attention towards our spouse. Like the currency that's most difficult to be generous with in marriage is time and attention. Just giving that kind of that generous attention is difficult. Now, I used to check this box and be defensive on how I was doing in this by measuring attention in terms of proximity. Okay, I'm, I'm giving my wife attention because I'm spending time, I'm spending time with her. And I could have gone through and made my list, right? Like date nights every week. And getting away once a year, just the two of us together. Sitting down together at the end of a day. Like I, I was getting it right when it came to proximity. Here's what I've discovered is that being generous with attention is less about proximity and it, it's more about presence. Now it's still about proximity. Like proximity matters, but it's more about presence than proximity. It's how I'm showing up when we're in the same space together. And so I was checking this generous with attention box because I was just measuring it based on proximity rather than on being, being fully present. Uh, there's a phrase that is sometimes used to describe people who are not emotionally generous with their attention. We would say they're emotionally unavailable. What that means is they're physically available, but they're emotionally absent. And you know some people like this, right? Like they show up physically, but they check out emotionally. They're there, but they're distant. They're there, but they're distracted. And, and so being generous with attention means that instead of looking down, I look up. And when my wife's talking, push pause on the TV, shut the computer, put the phone away. I, I give her that kind of focused attention and try to be intentional with it, that there are gonna be these times where I'm gonna be fully present. And, and so maybe that is for you uh, um, 
a cup of coffee in the morning, sitting down the two of you together. Some of you are morning people and you're like, just, I just wanna be left alone in the morning. Like that's my love language. Okay, doesn't have to be in the morning. An, an evening walk after work, a glass of wine on the front porch after the kids are in bed, a back rub at night while you pray for one another. Like there are these moments where you just say, I'm gonna be intentional to give my focused attention. I'm gonna pay attention to how I show up. Um, Being generous means giving attention by asking questions, by showing value and honor and interest in questions that get asked, by listening to understand. Proverbs 18.2 says, fools have no interest in understanding, they only want to air their own opinions. And so listening to understand means I'm, I'm not seeing this as an opportunity to make a point. While they're talking, I'm not deciding how I'm gonna respond as soon as they'll be quiet. Like I'm listening to understand and when they're done talking, I'll, I might ask a question. I might say, hey, help me understand this a little bit more. Tell me more about it. I didn't quite understand what you were saying when you said this. Like that is the kind of attention that is generous, that brings us together. That's true in any relationship, especially true in marriage. Uh, Being generous with attention in marriage means I'm paying attention to the health of the relationship. It means I understand where things are. One of the best ways to do that is by asking questions like this. Are you getting your needs met in our marriage? So when's the last time you asked that question? Are you getting your needs met in our marriage? Another question, can I do anything to help deepen your trust in me? If emotional intimacy is rooted in trust, what what can I do to help deepen your trust in me? Or what am I doing that might take away the trust you have in me? Am I responding in a way that makes it hard for you to trust me when you're sharing what's going on? Are there some things we need to work on or change? Are are there some uh, conversations that we've been putting off, some conflict that we haven't dealt with Like, how are you feeling about us these days? Like, those types of questions go a long way. Now look, find the right time for it. Don't do this. Like, if your spouse has had a long day and you're getting into bed at night exhausted, it's not the time to say, are you getting your needs met in our marriage? It's not the time. Like, you need to wait till there's some space. Like, is there anything I can do to help build your trust in me? Like, find the right time to do that but give attention to it. Number two, you can be generous with affection. Generous with affection. If you study the life of Jesus, the word touch is an interesting word to trace in the Gospels because Jesus would touch. He would touch those he healed, he would touch those he prayed for. My favorite example is Luke five, where Jesus touches the leper that he heals. Didn't have to, he could have spoken healing over the leper, but he touches the leper who had not been touched and who knows how long Jesus recognizes this and he doesn't just heal him, but he touches him. There's something powerful about this physical touch, about affection. Now next week we're gonna talk about sexual intimacy and certainly that's part of being emotionally generous in marriage, but I just want to, for this conversation, talk about the non-sexual affection. Right, like it's, um, it's holding hands while going for a walk. It is playing, I don't know, playing footsie under the table, which I'd be much more likely to do if it wasn't called footsie. Like I, I, if it was like foot wrestling, I'll, uh, 
I'll foot wrestle with you. I'm not gonna play footsie with you, <laughs> right? Like, and if I did, I wouldn't tell you about it. Like, it's, but it's that type of thing. It's, it's a back rub before bed. It's a hug goodbye. It's a welcome home kiss. So some research that I found really helpful. I want you to lean in on this because it's simple but has, I think, profound opportunity. Dr. Linda Duncan, a marriage researcher, makes the case that it's not just how much affection you show, but it's when you show affection that can bond you to your spouse. It's not just how much, but it's when. And she shares that couples that have intimate, close relationships are generous with affection at four distinct points throughout their day. When they wake up, before leaving for the day, when they reconnect after work or school, haven't seen each other, they reconnect. And number four, when they go to bed at night. Those four windows, she says, have unique opportunities where you can get a lot back for a little investment. When you wake up, before you leave for the day, when you connect after school or work, and as you go to bed at night. It, it doesn't have to be a lot. She makes the case that 30 seconds in each one of those windows can really change the intimacy in your marriage. Like two minutes total, 30 seconds at each time where you're just intentional in that window to be affectionate. And I, I can tell you how true this is for me as a husband. When I come home and I haven't seen my wife all day and she, when I come home and she smiles at me and she comes and she gives me a hug or she comes home and, and first time I see her, she gives me a hug and she just hangs on for a second. Oh, I mean, changes. My, my heart fills up, my tank makes, makes a huge difference, right? 30 seconds, but the time when she, when she expressed that, when she was generous with affection, moves the needle. Research also suggests that a 20 second kiss every day can have a profound impact on the intimacy, the closeness of um, a, a married couple. Apparently a kiss, at somewhere around the 20 second mark, your brain releases chemicals that deepens your connection to your spouse, somewhere around 20 seconds. I was sharing this with some of, them, some of the staff this week, and one of them said, well, what kind of kiss? I'm like, I don't know, I, like it's, there's no diagrams, like I don't think it's, like, I don't think it's like a, I don't think that's it. I don't think you're getting a lot of chemicals that way. But there's something about, a, 20 seconds of that kind of affection, God's designed us so that this bonding can take place. Number three is generous with appreciation. Paul says in Ephesians 5 that we should essentially have this filter on our mouths that cause us to only speak that which is helpful for building people up. First Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another and build each other up. I think it's especially difficult to do that in marriage and here's why, it's because over time we begin to take things for granted that other people might see in them, recognize pretty clearly, but we've just seen it enough that, that we don't even notice. And so for you, maybe, like maybe your husband has always done a good job of, um, of, I don't know, cleaning up after himself. It's just always been that way. You don't think anything of it. I mean, he's a grown adult. Shouldn't he clean up after himself? Or, or maybe, maybe your wife's always been thoughtful on special occasions. Like, she knows how to make a special day a special day. But she's always done that. So now she does it, and you don't, you don't really notice. It doesn't really stand out to you. 
Or, or maybe your husband has always been um, generous with other people. Like that's just part of who he is. He's generous with his time and money. Just, and you don't think much of it because that's just the kind of guy he's always been. Or maybe, maybe your wife's always just been patient. Just always patient. And you don't pay much attention because she's always been that way. And so it can be difficult to be generous with appreciation because of our tendency to take things for granted and yet the opposite ends up being true that we have a way of noticing all the other stuff the longer we're married. So the longer we're married, the more likely we are to take things for granted and the longer we're married, the more likely we are to notice the things that you thought by now would be fixed and they're, they're not, right? And so nothing destroys emotional intimacy in a marriage more quickly than criticism, because criticism is a form of shame. And, and where there's shame, there's no vulnerability. Where there's shame, someone knows I, I can't be honest about struggles or challenges. And, and so when we criticize, we, dis, we destroy it. Encouragement and appreciation breathe, breathes life, but the criticism uh, brings death brings separation. Proverbs 27, 15, and 16 says, a nagging spouse is like the drip, drip, drip of a leaky faucet. You can't turn it off and can't get away from it. I use the message paraphrasing this because it, it takes the gender out of it, just a spouse. Like when Solomon said this, he didn't say, he said wife, nagging wife. But you know why? Because he's a husband, right? It's not because husbands don't criticize. You know that, right? Like a nagging spouse, a nagging wife. There's a lot of nagging husbands. It's not just a wife thing. That's a husband thing. That's a husband thing too. And it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It tears down. It causes a separation. But on top of that, it doesn't work. It doesn't bring about the change you were hoping for. It instead creates this uh, passive aggressive spirit where they end up doing more of the thing you don't want them to do. Uh, Amy Sutherland wrote an article about this for the New York Times called What Shamu <laughs> Taught Me About a Happy Marriage. And she explains that after 12 years of marriage, she was dismayed that her husband still had all these irritating habits. She thought by now he would have figured it out. She writes, like many wives before me, I ignored a library of advice books and set about improving him by nagging, of course, which only made his behavior worse. He'd drive faster instead of slower, shave less frequently, not more, leave his reeking workout clothes on the bedroom floor longer than ever. But she says, a breakthrough came when she was researching a book she was writing on exotic animal trainers. I listened, she said, as professional trainers explained how they taught dolphins to flip and elephants to paint. If they can teach elephants to paint, then surely, I can teach my husband to do some things differently. She says, it became clear to me that the same techniques might work on that stubborn but lovable species, the American husband. The central lesson I learned from the exotic animal trainers is that I should reward behavior I want repeated and I should ignore behavior I don't. So I began thanking him if he threw one dirty shirt into the hamper. If he threw in two, I'd give him a kiss. Meanwhile, I would step over the soiled clothes on the floor without one sharp word though I did sometimes kick them under the bed. But as he basked in my appreciation, the piles became smaller. Now here's the point of that. She recognized, this isn't working. I, I, I've been trying to do it this way for a long time and it hasn't worked. What if I tried something different? What if I started to be generous with appreciation? What if I started to be intentional with recognition? 
And, and I'm sure she could have said, well, he's a grown man. He should do these things. He, sh- he shouldn't have to, it shouldn't be based on me noticing it and me appreciating it. Look, what works? That's the question. And so the challenge for us is that we reflect the grace and the encouragement that we've received from God, that we received from one another here. We reflect that in, in our marriages. You try it the next few weeks to see, see what happens. One more way we can be emotionally generous is through um, acceptance. It's through acceptance. And I think this is key. And we'll talk more about this in week four when we talk about grace and just learning to see each other differently. And instead of looking at someone and noticing the bad things, instead of looking at someone and assuming the worst explanation, how do we accept them while still encouraging them to be who God has made them to be? How do we do that? But I know down deep what all of us want is this kind of love. We wanna be accepted. Genesis chapter two, verse 25 says, Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. They were accepting. They were fully exposed, fully seen, fully known, naked, but they felt no shame. And emotionally, not just physically, emotionally, I think that's what we are desperate for in marriage. For someone to see me and see all my flaws, see every area where I need to grow and, and be accepting of me. I think that's how we wanna love. I think it's how we wanna be loved. So how do we grow in that kind of acceptance? How do we become more generous with acceptance? Romans 15, verse seven, therefore accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. The way that we find that kind of acceptance in our heart for the person we've been married to for a long time, maybe know everything about them that's hard to accept, like how do we do it? It's by living in the grace of God that accepts us for who we are. Now, I'll I'll just push pause on this. I'll talk more about this next week. I just wanna say, don't you dare weaponize this. Like, don't you dare do that. Don't you go home and you say to your spouse, see, this is what's wrong with you. You don't accept me. And you just need to accept the way I treat you and you just need to accept the way I talk to you and you just need, no, that's not how this works. That's you not accepting their unacceptance. Like, that's that's not how it plays out. But when we fully understand or more fully understand God's grace and acceptance of us, it fills us with that towards other people, especially, especially our spouse. The more in tune you are with God's acceptance, the more acceptance you will give. But look, conversely, the more shame you feel, the more rejection you feel from God, the more convinced you are that he doesn't wanna have anything to do with you and the best thing you can do is hide from him, the more that marks your life, the less accepting of a person you're gonna be. You, you won't accept other people, you won't accept your spouse because you feel rejected. And so how do we experience that kind of acceptance? It's through Jesus, it's through Christ. You don't have to come to God cleaned up and without fault that he loves you as you are and then he helps grow you, he sanctifies you to become more and more like Jesus along the way. So it's acceptance. One of the ways that you can express your generous acceptance of your spouse is through what's called emotional validation. And that's just where you acknowledge the other person's emotions or feelings without telling them that there's something wrong with them, without um, making them feel less than for 
what they're going through? I'll just tell you, like early on in marriage, yes, but, but even now, like this is something I have to resist. I like to fix things. I like to make things, I like to make things better. If I, know, if I know how to do it differently, then why wouldn't I wanna share that? And so what I did, especially early in marriage, my wife would trust me enough to tell me, and no one else, but just tell me how she was feeling about something. If she was sad, I didn't want her to be sad. And so in my mind, my naive mind, the best thing to do would be to say, well, here's all the reasons you shouldn't feel the way you're feeling. Here's what's wrong with you for feeling that way. Instead, let me give you three reasons you should feel happy. And what that communicates to her, what that communicates to your spouse is, don't share those things with me. Don't, don't tell me those things. It, it's not safe. I'll just try and tell you something, something different. I'll just try and tell you, here's how you should feel. Here's what's wrong. Now, look, if you would have asked me, I would have said, I, I, love, I love my wife. Love her more than I love myself. I don't, I don't like when I hear her talk about being sad, I don't want her to feel that way. And so how do we then love in a way that accepts? encourage, lead them through, pray for them and bless them. It's all about understanding how God has accepted us. There's an old um, marriage illustration. It's been around a long time. It's a picture of a triangle. At the top of the triangle, you picture the cross representing Jesus and the two corners of the triangle, it's a husband and, and wife. And the, the idea is really quite simple that the closer a husband and a wife draw to Jesus, the closer they'll draw to one another, that the, the most effective way to experience this one flesh intimacy is by a husband and wife both drawing closer to Christ. And I just believe that this is really true. That as you draw closer to Jesus and you understand his acceptance, and you have acceptance to give. As you understand his grace, you have grace to give. As you understand his unconditional love, you understand that you have unconditional love to offer. It's how it, it's how it works. There's something powerful about when a husband and wife will spiritually pursue Jesus together. The Institute for Family Studies says researchers have found that prayer in a marriage relationship, the gravitational pull will bring in positive outcomes like forgiveness and trust and unity and decreased infidelity and increased relationship satisfaction and commitment. And this is especially true when couples pray for one another. The National Association of Marriage Enhancement showed that the divorce rate among couples who pray together regularly is one out of 1,152. It's way less than 1%. And, and so what why is that though? Well, if you do this, you understand. Because it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. My wife knows everything about me, and so for me to pray with her it, uh, feels humbling. Like I have to trust that she accepts me to do that. For me to let her listen in on my confession to God, when I say to God, God, I'm sorry for the way I responded. I recognize God that I wasn't just responding to her. It wasn't just her that I sinned against. I sinned against you when I treated her that way. Like, man, I don't, my pride in me doesn't wanna say that in front of her. When I pray for her and I say, God, 
would you please bless my wife in these ways? And here's the things that she's dealing, and she listens to me talk to God on her behalf. And she feels seen and she feels heard and valued. Like there's just something about that. It just requires this level of vulnerability. And so it's, it's difficult, it's challenging, but it is profound in how it bonds a couple together. So I'd love to challenge you with that, but even if that's a little too much for you, would you just begin this week praying for your spouse, even if it's just by yourself? And you just begin praying, God, I pray that you'd bless my husband today. God, I pray that you would give me words to encourage my wife today. God, I, I pray that today when I come home from work, that you would give me the emotional strength I need to be fully present in that conversation. God, I pray that you would give me a desire for my spouse today. I, I, I don't feel, I just don't feel much. Would you give me a desire? Would you help me to be generous in my love for my spouse? God, would you, would you just show me how you have loved me so that I can be that way with my husband or with my wife? Like if you just begin to pray those prayers, it'll have an impact. It's hard because as you start praying, you'll think to yourself, well, I wonder if they're, I wonder if they're praying this for me. I, I wonder if they're praying, I'm praying blessings over them. He's not praying, he's not praying. I guarantee you, he's not praying blessings over me. It's what it means to be generous that you're not doing it with expectation. You're doing it as a reflection of the gospel, what God has done for you through Christ. Gottman talks about the masters and disasters. He says, turning away or turning towards. That turning towards language is helpful because that's the same language that's used of how God looks at us because of Jesus. Our sin would cause him to turn away. He can't look at sin but because of Jesus, there's grace and he turns towards us, the God of the universe. So there's that blessing expressed in the Old Testament book of Numbers that God would turn his face towards us. He would protect us, give us peace. And I just want to sing that. I just want to pray that as a church because I know that when we receive it from him, we'll have it to give. So we're gonna sing this song of blessing. Um, I wanna sing it over the marriages in this church, over the 300 couples who signed up. I wanna sing this song of blessing over you. I, if, if you're here with your spouse, I want you to sing this song of blessing with them in mind. You're just praying God's blessing over them. And the more we receive, the more we'll have to give. And then, if you wanna to talk to someone about your relationship with Jesus, you can do that by going to our next step room. There's nothing better you can do for your marriage or for any relationship that you're struggling with right now than to get that one relationship, the most important relationship, right. We'd love to. Thanks for listening. If today's message made you realize you need to take your next step with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us on any of our social media platforms throughout the week or visit our website at southeastchristian.org. And if you want to hear more content like this, you can check out our sermons podcast or our one at a time podcast. Both can be found everywhere. Podcasts are available. Have a great week.